0: Love being here this morning. Let's talk about uh, arguing with God. So, the first major argument I had with God, uh, I can remember the first major argument I had, um, and it lasted 10 years. So, it's not like I hang on to stuff very long or anything. <laughs> it started my junior year in college uh, when I realized that I wanted to go into vocational ministry upon graduation but uh, circumstances, which I defined as God's lack of attention to me, uh, kept me working in a series of other jobs for nearly a decade, so 10 years. Right out of college, I worked for a company that demanded my attention literally seven days a week, Uh, The owner of the media production company I worked for was truly a tyrant. Uh, He manipulated me through intimidation. He did things that I thought were designed to help me but would find out later are actually meant to control me. And uh, he literally used to call me into his office on Monday mornings for going to church on Sunday mornings instead of being in the office on Sunday mornings where I belonged. And as a young man just out of school, uh, I was really angry at God for putting me in that situation. When Dee and I finally saved up enough money so that I could move and we could move and I could go to seminary, I thought my problems were solved, but it turned out to be just a short break in my argument with God, uh, because once we got to seminary, several things happened in our family that forced me back into working again. So I did seminary at night, went back into the business world, and restarted my argument with God about why everyone else I knew in seminary didn't have to do that. Now, these are real things, deep things, that I was arguing with pretty much all the time in my head. This isn't a small thing. Uh, this is the beginning of a second argument with God that now has lasted about 30 years. Throughout my time in ministry, I've ended up in places that didn't provide me with the opportunity to have the fastest growing church in town or uh, like good friends of mine didn't land me on the 40 under 40 lists of Christianity Today of young leaders who were changing the world with, for Christ. What I ended up instead were 40 reasons why God was wrong to put me in places that I didn't get to see that kind of ministry action. I even ended up in a church and a situation where I was just about to get that kind of attention when we had another health issue in our family come up and I had to leave the church just before what we had built there in Europe became the center of what was known in the 90s as the Willow Creek Movement. So I've argued with God about lots of things, other things besides just you know, what I'm doing with my life. I've argued with him about my family of origin. I've argued with him about finances. Again, his lack of attention. I don't understand that. I've argued with him about my kids, my marriage, my creative ambition, my treatment by those in authority over me. I've clenched my fist and raised my hand and considered walking away many times. And through it all, I've learned quite a bit about the spiritual discipline, the practice that we're going to talk about this morning, the practice of submission submitting to circumstances that I didn't think were fair, submitting to people that I didn't think were right, submitting to God when I really wasn't sure he had my best interests at heart. And all of that is why I love the passage we're going to look at this morning as we continue this Practicing the Way of Jesus series with a look at this spiritual habit of submission. This passage is as real and as raw as it gets, and at the same time, what scholars have called one of the jewels of the New Testament in terms of its beauty. Uh, This passage is so beautiful that I actually read this passage to Dee when I proposed to her. Uh, I wanted it to set the bar for how we would do the mutual submission that uh, that scriptures call husbands and wives to in their relationships. Now, most scholars also believe the passage we're gonna look at was one of the earliest hymns of the church. So one of the earliest songs they actually sang together, appropriated by Paul in this instance, because only artistic expression could adequately convey the depth of what he was trying to say in this passage. So remember, this is Paul, right, who's been beaten, who's been jailed, who gave up a high place in society to have those privileges, and I'm sure had a few arguments with God along the way. So let's listen to what he has to say to this church at Philippi, this young church in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he's calling them to unity together, and in the context of that, we get some ideas and understanding of this practice of submission. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, here's where we're going to go. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then here comes this hymn. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, let's play a little word association game as we start looking at this this morning. I'm gonna say some words, and I want you to let me know, thumbs up or thumbs down, if the word has a positive or negative association for you. Ready? Thumbs up if it's positive, thumbs down if it's negative. All right, so here's the first word downsize. Up or down? Okay. Uh, how about this one? Down and out. Okay. Uh, downhearted. Downcast. How about this one? Down payment. <laughs> the real estate salespeople are like. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Downgrade, down in the mouth, break down, shut down, let down, breathing down my neck, cast down, face down, cut down, hold down, live down, let down, shake down, strike down, lay down the law, lead down the garden path, look down on, sell down the river, shoot down, shut down, shout down, stare down, vote down, water down, and weigh down. All right, let's try these upscale, up and coming, upwardly mobile. Get up and go. Bring up to date. Back up. Charge up. Cheer up. Clear up. All shook up. Cozy up. Fire up. Fix up. Heads up. Keeping your chin up. Pep up. Put your feet up. Roll your sleeves up. Save up. Set up. Show up. Sign up. Square up. Stand up and be counted. Spruce up. Think up. Tune up. Warn up. Wise up. See, in our culture, up is definitely better than down. You with me? Up is for winners. Down is for losers. Up is the direction of progression. Down is the direction of regression. We ascend to greatness. We don't descend to greatness. Not in our culture. Think about what ad agencies would have to do to make a downward trend in our culture seem positive, right? Imagine the, uh, the, the ad, you know, lose it all. Imagine the possibilities. It just doesn't work in the same way. But counterintuitively, descending the practice of submission is actually a very uplifting practice. It's refreshing to our spiritual lives. Richard Foster defines it this way, and this is great. He says, submission is, quote, the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Think about that. What if that could actually be true? What if when your colleague at work took credit for something you did, you could genuinely just let it go? You go, oh, great. <laughs> or what if after the next fight you have with your spouse or your roommate, instead of rehabbing the argument in your head about a hundred times, saying all the right things, because I won that argument then, instead of doing that, what if you could just say, you know, maybe they were right? What if you could actually do that? Or what if when you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to do something and He didn't show up, at least from your perspective. What if you could actually still trust him in it? See, the habit of submission shows us how to do these things. But the question is, how do we actually do it? How do we do this? So we get some hints in this passage. So first of all, in this passage, we see that submission is what I'm going to call open-handed. I love verse 6, where it literally says, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. So I want to ask you to do something with me. A lot of audience participation this morning. I want you to take, I want you to grasp your hands. Literally, seriously, I want you to grasp them. Now, I want you to grasp them tighter. And tighter. Now, see what happens? Watch what happens. Your whole body starts to tense up, and your facial expression changes, right? You get. <laughs> And when I do this, I even do it, if I do it really hard, this is what happens to me. I noticed this when I was practicing. Believe it or not, I practiced this, which is a weird thing. But anyway, as I was doing this in my little office, I'm like this, and I noticed I was doing this. Like my, my eyes started darting back and forth because what was I doing? I was getting ready for a fight. Now, hold your hands. Keep, you don't have to hold them that tight, but just keep holding them. Keep grasping with some pressure while we talk about this. If you were are to take inventory, you can put them down, you would have to hold them up, but just, just keep them grasped. <laughs> all right, I should take a picture of that. That would be a great picture. Here's how the, here's how the congregation responded to my text to this morning. Anyway, all right. If we were to take inventory this week, all of us, of how many times we grasped after something this week, How long would that take if we were to take inventory of that? I started, this is truth, I started to do that as I was working through this this thing and I realized I did not have enough time to do it. Too many things as I really thought about it. Things I was grasping after. How much of our everyday is formed around this idea of grasping after what is rightfully ours? It really is a burden. So keep grasping and then listen to this. One day, making tracks in the Prairie of Prax, came a north-going zax and a south-going zax. A north-going zax and a south-going zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going zax said. I say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going zax and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. "'Who's in whose way?' snapped the south-going Zax. "'I always go south, making south-going tracks. "'So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, "'and let me go south in my south-going groove.'" You never knew Dr. Seuss used the word groove. Anyway, (laughs) then the north-going Zax said with north-going pride, "'I have never taken one step to the side, "'and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways "'if I have to keep standing here 59 days. "'And I'll prove to you,' yelled the south-going Zax, "'that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years.'" For I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in South Going School. Never budge. That's my rule. Never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here budging, uh, not budging. I can and I will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the whole world did not stand still. The whole world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn zacks and left them there standing unbudged, In their tracks. Now, a few years ago, this poem from this book was distributed to over 500,000 Bosnian and Croatian children by the United Nations and NATO. The idea was to get kids in a part of the world that was absolutely ravaged by a lack of willingness to submit to one another to think a little differently. So from Bosnia to Croatia, from Republicans to Democrats, from the crazy violence we see happening all over our world that we hear about literally every day now, we all see zachs like behavior all around us. And if you stop for a minute and think, but you can think of at least one instance this week where you bumped into someone going in an opposite direction and neither one of you wanted to step aside. Think back through your week or maybe think forward to the week to come and get in your minds an episode that you know is coming. How do we avoid getting stuck in that impasse? Are you ready? Here's the big answer, are you ready? Open your hands. See, how does that feel? It's a release. It's like laying down a burden, right? This is where the habit of submission begins. It's a simple act of your will to release. Now, of course, as you do this over and over, as you do it in concert with the Spirit of God, what you begin to find out is that release starts to come naturally. It becomes a habit. As God forms your heart through this and other spiritual practices that you're engaged in, you'll find out that you can release. Again, remember what Richard Foster said, submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. That's a way bigger burden than we recognize. At work, in your family relationships, as you try to merge onto the 405 in the morning. Release. What if you just said, please go ahead? This is an intentional decision that you begin with, that requires something else. Second part of this. Ready? Submission is not just open-handed. Submission is open-hearted. Verse 7 and 8 of this poem, where we have this hymn, uh, this this hymn has fascinated biblical scholars for years, where it says that Christ made himself nothing. A specific Greek word is used coming uh, from a verb, and it's called kenosis, which literally means to empty. So scholars have gone for years and years, I mean, like we're talking like hundreds of years, thousands of years, not just like decades, uh, working this word. What did it mean for Jesus to empty himself? Uh, what, What exactly did it mean? What did he empty himself of? Was it divinity? Was it power? Was it willpower? You know, what was it that Jesus emptied himself of? Reams and reams and books like have been written on this one word for ages and ages, and they say things like this, quote, it refers to the pre-incarnate renunciation coincident with the act of taking the form of a servant. See, that makes sense. Essentially, the idea here is that Jesus, in eternity past, made a a, a specific conscious decision to lay down his rights for our benefit, to release. He took the form of, Of a servant. And remember, this is God we're talking about. He chose to take on our nature, he released his hold on divinity, which is a choice that inevitably led to the submission of the fullest extent, literally emptying out his soul in death. This is the very living definition of true submission, of true humility. Humility is the open-hearted attitude from which submission comes. But here's another way to think about this. What if it isn't just about what it meant for Jesus himself to take on humanity? What if it also is talking about what it means to live divinely for us? All right, I have kind of a long story I'm going to read you. It's a good story about this idea, so just hang with me. There was once an old monastery that had fallen on hard times. Centuries earlier, it had been a thriving center where many dedicated monks lived, worked, and had a great influence all over the realm. But now only five monks lived there, and they were all over seventy years old. This was clearly a dying order. A few miles from the monastery lived an old hermit who thought who many thought was a prophet. One day, as the monks agonized over the impending demise of their order, they decided to visit the hermit to see if he might have some advice for him. Perhaps he would be able to see the future and show them how they could save the monastery. The hermit welcomed the five monks into his hut, but when they explained the purpose of his visit, the hermit could only commiserate with them. Yes, I understand how it is, he said. The spirit has gone out of the people. Hardly anyone cares much for the old things anymore. Is there anything you can tell us, the abbot inquired of the hermit, that would help us save the monastery? No, I'm sorry, said the hermit. I don't know how your monastery can be saved. The only thing that I can tell you is that one of you is an apostle of God. The monks were both disappointed and confused at his cryptic statement. They returned to the monastery wondering what the hermit could have meant by this statement, one of you is an apostle of God. For months after their visit, the monks pondered the significance of the hermit's words. One of us is an apostle of God. Did he actually mean one of us monks here at the monastery? That might not be possible. We're all too old. We're all too insignificant. On the other hand, what if it's true? And if it's true, which one of us is it? One month's contemplation was similar to the four others. Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Well, if he meant anyone, he probably meant the abbot. He's been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Brother Thomas is a holy man, a man of wisdom and light. He couldn't have meant Brother Elrod. Elrod gets cratchety and is difficult to reason with. On the other hand, he's almost always right. Maybe he meant Brother Elrod, or perhaps he meant Brother Philip. But Philip is so passive and shy, a real nobody. Still, he's always there when you need him. He's loyal and trustworthy. Well, he couldn't have meant Philip. Of course, he didn't mean me. He couldn't have possibly meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. But what if he did mean me? Suppose I am the apostle of God. Oh, God, not me. That would be too much for me. As they continued to maul the hermit's words, the old monks began to do something. They began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might actually be the apostle of God. And on the off chance that he himself might be the apostle spoken of by the hermit, each monk began to treat himself with extraordinary respect. Because the monastery was situated on a in a beautiful forest, many people came there to picnic on its tiny lawn and to walk on its path. And even uh, every now and then go into the tiny chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed the aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out of them, permeating the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, people began to come back to the monastery to frequently uh, picnic there and to play and to pray. They began to bring their friends and show them this really special place, and their friends bought their friends. As more and more visitors came, some of the younger men started to talk with the older monks. After a while, one of them asked if he could join them. Then another, and another. Within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the hermit's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality throughout the realm. Now, what happened here? Here's what happened. They didn't forget about themselves in submission. They didn't denigrate themselves, they didn't take the downward path to downheartedness or downcastedness or even downgradedness of themselves. Submission was not about them becoming less than who they were. It was about being focused on a bigger agenda than themselves. They became a people on a mission. When I think about my arguments with God, Here's how they've gotten solved every single time. Every single, that's not an exaggeration. Here's how they get solved every single time. They get solved when I open my hands, let go of my agenda, open my heart to God's agenda, and then become focused on His mission instead of mine. Ultimately, that's what the discipline of submission is. We submit ourselves to people to circumstances, to things, because we're submitting ourselves to an understanding that God's mission is bigger than ours. Focusing on His agenda is what moves us forward every single time for me, every single time through deep and important and difficult and complex things that I've struggled with every single time, what pulls me out is focusing on God's mission and asking the question, what is God's mission in this? So, in that thing that you are arguing with God about right now, what is God's mission in it? What is his mission? That's my encouragement to you personally. Now, here's my encouragement to you all as resonate. In the second half of verse 3, Paul says that we are, quote, in humility of mind to value others over ourselves. That's a very interesting thing. The Greek term here for considering others, quote, unquote, better than ourselves is a word that is usually used only in reference to to supreme authorities, like governments or kinds or even deities. So you could say what Paul was saying was to treat one another like little Christs, which is exactly what happened in the story of the monk and which is exactly my continual prayer for this body. If you do so, God's agenda will get accomplished And if you truly become that community you are on your way to being, God will bless this thing. I have seen people in this room care for each other in extraordinary ways. So treat each other like little Christs and you will see amazing things happen. Three and a half years ago, I moved to L.A., having finally, I thought, matured to the point of stopping my arguments with God over things. I came here to start a church, based on some values I held dear, but without the need to do the big thing anymore. And yet, it turns out that I needed to hand over even the small thing in submission, because God has a different plan. So here's the thing. Big or small things, as we continue to submit, God continues to do his work. And I'm excited to see what happens as this body continues to pursue that path. Let's pray together. So, Father, um, as we think about all of these different uh, practices we've been looking at this summer, study, prayer, fasting, simplicity, giving, and this one, submission, help us to be people who recognize that we don't have to do these things on our own, that these are not more stuff to do, but instead, these are practices that form our soul. And as our soul gets formed, we become able to be people who can authentically and genuinely release. So this morning, we're just going to take a minute and think about that thing that we're arguing with you about right now. So friends, just take a minute and think about that and ask God to speak into it. Ask him to show you what it is you have to release this morning.